You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. good to be back, and uh, <clears throat> it's always fun to come back to this church because there's so many good, good friends and friendly faces here. So um, I want to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time setting up, I want to jump right in, but I want to, I guess, review real quickly on the fact that we have been doing kind of a, the weirdest message series your church has probably ever gone through in terms of the sequencing of this series, because it started in May, and then two weeks ago we were back. And then here we are today, and in two weeks from now, we'll conclude. So it's kind of had a few little disruptions in the middle, but uh, we've been talking about soul care. Every single person sitting in this room is a soul. And uh, the first week, we talked about just understanding what is a soul. We put a diagram up that had some circles where um, all of us have a will. It's the core of who we are. It's our ability to say yes and no. We have a mind. Our mind is our thoughts and our feelings. And our mind, if it's working right, means that we are... Um, we are thinking right thoughts and we are doing the right things in our life. We have a body, which is where our will gets to reign, full-blown, and um, everything that happens through our will and our minds is basically manifest through our bodies. And then we have a social dimension in which we know people and people know us, and that forms who we are. And then our soul integrates all of those pieces into a single entity. And that term integrity is a soul word. When we are integrated with our will and our mind and our body and our relationships, we have lives that are full of integrity. Sin, however, comes in and disrupts it. And it creates disintegration. And it causes us to kind of come apart at the seams. And if you've ever used the phrase, I feel like my life is falling apart, that is a reflection of a soul that's disintegrated in the sense that sin causes it to just come apart. So we took a look at that um, a few weeks ago, and then last two weeks ago we talked about if my soul is what it is, what do I need to do to keep it replenished so it's healthy? And we dug into that a little bit. We talked about the fact that our life is like a bucket. Our buckets leak, and we have disciplines God invites us into in order to keep our buckets full. Today, we basically are going to look at a real simple truth And it's built around the fact that we are not a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body, but that body needs to be connected with God. Our souls need to be be connected very deeply with the Father who created us. So it was an ordinary Thursday on August 5th, 2010, when 33 miners hugged their wives and kids goodbye and departed for work at the San Jose Copper Gold Mine in northern Chile. Some of you may recall this. Little did they know that a few hours later their world would forever change when an underground rock the size of the Empire State Building shifted and collapsed on top of them. Trapped in a small shelter 2,300 feet below the surface and three miles from the mine's entrance, these miners were completely isolated. They were cut off from the world with no way to communicate. They were left in complete darkness, sweltering heat, and only a three-day food supply. I cannot imagine a more desperate situation. 
Imagine the longing for connection that they must have felt. Imagine the desire that they would have had to be reunited with their families. Imagine their need to be with the people that they love the most. In the spiritual realm, that's the need of the soul. Your soul desperately needs to be with your God. When you read through Scripture, you get a sense that our soul was designed to reach out and to search for its Father. You read this in the Psalms, where it says in Psalm 63, My soul thirsts for the Mighty One. My soul finds rest in God alone. My soul clings to you. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And on and on you see throughout the Psalms. The soul seeks God with its whole being, and it's obsessed with this pursuit. For the soul to be well, it must be with God. God knows this. In fact, he made us that way. When you go back to Genesis and you start to read the story, you realize he created the world, and then he created this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. It was full of trees and flowers and animals and birds. It was the perfect home for God's creation. And then he made man and woman and put them right in the middle of that so that he could be with us and we could be with him. And then you read further and you realize Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God and sin entered the world, this ideal was broken. Now we find Adam and Eve deliberately hiding from God, full of shame, full of fear, separation from the Father that made them. And that could have been the end except for the love of a father. God would not be denied. He went after them. He searched for them. He pursued them so that he could be with them and that they could be with him again. We see the power of being with God play out throughout all of the Old Testament. It starts with a guy named Enoch, a man who lived a few generations before Noah. And here's what it says. Enoch walked with God then he was no more because God took him away. Wouldn't that be cool? Then you read on, God was with Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. God was with Abraham and his sons Isaac and Ishmael. He was with Jacob, even though Jacob was a deceiver. He was with Joseph, even in the painful places of slavery in prison. He was with Moses in the desert, Gideon in the battle. Samuel in his leadership. He was with Ruth in her virtue. David in his moral fall. God was with lots of people in the Old Testament, which paved the way ultimately for the arrival of Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. When Jesus launched his public ministry, Mark 3.14 says this. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him. Before he sent them out, he invited them in. There's power in being with Jesus. Later, we see this principle play out with Peter and John in the launch of the early church. The book of Acts says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Before Jesus went to the cross, he wanted to drive this truth home for every single believer, every one of us in this room. And in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, 
and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Bearing fruit is not about trying harder. It's all about who we're connected to, who we're with. Abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, means to live intimately with him from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. My soul was created by God to be with God. It thrives not on my activities or accomplishments. It flourishes simply by being with the Father. But I'm its keeper. I alone am responsible for the condition of my soul. I did not make it. I cannot save it. But I am called to steward it. The reason why the condition of my soul is so important is because an unhealthy soul is like a disease in a community. If I don't care for it, it will infect others. We all know people with toxic souls that cause drama wherever they go. They act that way because their soul is sick. There's a deficiency there. Somewhere along the line, sin has ensnared their will. It's affected their minds. And it's caused their bodies to do things that are not healthy. And it affects relationships. We try often in vain to fill our soul with everything other than what will really satisfy it. I alone am my soul's keeper. So this leads to the big question of the morning. And that is this. What must I do to properly care for my soul and experience greater levels of spiritual health in the upcoming year? What do I need to do? Well, let me give you a real simple answer to a big question. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You want to have a healthy soul? Arrange your day so that you experience deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. How do you do that? Well, Jesus introduces us with the concept of abiding. If I'm going to effectively care for my soul, it requires me to address its greatest need and do life connected with my Father. When Jesus introduced this concept, he did so to identify the type of fruit that he wanted his disciples to bear. John 15, jumping back to this and expanding it just a little bit, Envision this, that Jesus has just been in the upper room with the disciples close to when he's going to be crucified. And he has just left now with the disciples. Most likely they're walking. And my guess is because of the way Jesus taught, they're probably walking either through or near a vineyard. Oftentimes Jesus would teach on the very things that connected with people. And so in the context of this, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus identifies four types of fruit in this small little section of Scripture. First is no fruit. It is possible, possible to be a Christ follower and not be bearing fruit. Secondly, there is fruit. 
John 15, 2 says, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear, the third, more fruit. So if you are desiring to bear fruit, expect God to come in and prune your life and to trim away the areas so that more growth can happen. It's part of the growth cycle of following Jesus. But what's interesting is the fourth type of fruit. This one only comes by this key word, abiding. If you want to bear much fruit as a Christ follower, it says this, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The only way you get to much fruit is through the practice of abiding. So I want to talk for the rest of our time here about, about a progression that abiding produces. Three things. First thing is this. Abiding in God expands my intimacy with God. Abiding in God expands my intimacy with God. Intimacy simply means to deeply know and be known. So if you want to have an intimate relationship with someone, it's all about getting to know them deeply and allowing yourself to be known deeply as well. It's a two-way street. So last week, week and a half ago, I had the amazing opportunity to climb a mountain in Montana. Uh, for the last several years, I've been doing this with some friends, and we're doing the high points of every state. And this year, Montana was the state, and Granite Peak was the mountain. So I was with Dr. Steve Allgood, a surgeon, former surgeon here in Mason City, and I was also with a fellow Youth for Christ director from Oregon, Dane Tornell, who is also a mountaineering expert, led a mountaineering school for many, many years, and is considered one of the top climbers in the Pacific Northwest. Granite Peak is 12,799 feet tall. It's not the tallest mountain, but what makes it one of the most difficult climbs in the United States is the exposure that it has with it. The last 300 vertical feet requires technical rock climbing with drop-offs under your feet of several thousand feet. In preparation, we trained for the past 12 months to be ready. I had read all about Granite Peak because I wanted to know as much as possible about the mountain. In fact, this is a picture. Uh, you saw the first picture. This is the picture of the backside. So this is actually the side that we climbed. So you can see that last section is pretty steep with a lot of exposure. I had read all about it. I had watched a lot of YouTube clips. I had read summit posts online. I had done as much homework as we could. And yet, there it was. And here's what I would say. From a distance, Granite Peak is an impressive mountain. And then we got on the plane, and as we're flying into Billings, we looked out the window, we saw this picture. So this is actually the Beartooth Mountain Range in uh, southern Montana, just north of Yellowstone. This place is full of grizzly bears, but it's also full of just beautiful mountains. And somewhere in the midst of that, is Granite Peak. We landed in Billings, we got all of our gear, got all of our guys together, and we drove to this little Super 8 motel in Columbus, Montana, where we tried to get a good night's sleep. We sorted all our gear, and the next morning we were up super early, got in the car at 6 a.m., and drove to the trailhead. This is what the trailhead of Granite Peak looks like. 
It's really not all that great other than the fact that it's got a well-used outhouse that everybody stops at before they leave. That sign that's up there just left of the stop sign is a big sign. I wish I'd have brought a picture of it, but it's got a huge poster that says, Beware of Grizzly Bears. Well, we didn't have any, any bear spray or anything with us, but our guide was assured us that as long as our backpacks are on and we're staying together as a group, there's nobody that's going to bother us. So I trusted him. So we took off on the, on the trail, and this is what it looked like at the beginning once you kind of pass through that part. You're just walking through beautiful scenery, lakes and mountains, and the air is crisp, and you're smelling the scent of pine trees, and just gorgeous. And so we hiked for a couple miles like this, and then suddenly we hit what they call the switchbacks, 28 switchbacks that are about a football field long each, zigzagging up the mountain. And we continued to, rock, to walk. Uh, the rocks were there. We get to the top, and this is called Froze to Death Plateau. Great name. Super windy, super exposed. We're now at about 11,000 feet, and it's just kind of, it's not really flat, but it's just a slight up, up, uphill grade. But we're walking, and then the next part looks like this. Four and a half miles of the most incredibly difficult terrain to walk on with a backpack. Rocks, some of them are secure, some of them aren't. You don't know which one is which, right? And so for four and a half miles, we are hiking through this to try to get closer to those mountains in the distance. That's not even Granite Peak yet. Those are the mountains you go over to get to Granite Peak. So at this point, we are tired. It's mid-afternoon. There's a storm that comes up to the point where we finally have to take cover under a little rain fly while it hails on us. We sit under this thing for an hour and 15 minutes until the storm passes, and then we proceed and we come to our camp. We were looking for a base camp that had water, which is difficult to find on the top of a mountain unless you find a snowfield. So this snowfield, which had melted quite a bit even just the last couple of weeks, still had enough drainage that we were able to filter water, and this was our tents. Our tent was the green one on the right, and then the orange one on the left was the two younger guys that were part of our group, and then the other tent is some other guide service. It was here that we met a friend, and our friend's name was Bill. I'd like to introduce you to Bill. Bill was a solitary goat that just happened to show up and hung out with each of us especially in the middle of the night when we got up to go to the bathroom. More than once, we would hear guys scream in the middle of the night when Bill would sneak up behind them when they were fully vulnerable. Bill only has one horn because he's the alpha goat, and he basically fights off all the other ones and evidently in the process lost one of his horns. But Bill was just faithfully there and became kind of our buddy for the week. So we got to base camp. We literally got there late enough, we ate, we got everything set up, and then we went to bed and we slept for just less than two hours, and then the alarms went off at midnight, and it was time to summit. And so I'm going to show you the route. This is the route, so we kind of climbed up and over, and then that little red line on the bottom starts to go up. This is that rocky terrain that you had seen in the picture prior. This was now all climbed in the dark. So at midnight, our headlamp's on. Now we're trying to navigate these rocks in the dark. But we are basically setting out. It is lightning in the distance. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is not a very smart thing for a guy from Iowa to be doing. 
we were kind of outnumbered, and so the guy said, I think we should push on a little bit more, and our guide said, okay, but I'm going to make the final decision. If it gets bad, we're going back. So we climbed all night, and we worked our way up that ridge. This isn't even Granite Peak yet, but our goal was to get to that snow bridge. And so the next picture kind of shows what it looked like in terms of, again, we were in the dark, but this is a daylight picture of what that looks like. There is no trail. You just pick a direction, and you try to walk and not fall. A couple of times, a couple of our guys did fall, but we continued on. And then finally, we come to the snow bridge. This is what it looks like. So it's probably about 40 feet across, maybe 30 feet across, but what's to the left on the bottom of that picture is about a 2,000-foot drop. You don't want to slip on the snow bridge. So we're working our way across, and then to the left is actually Granite Peak. And once we get on the other side, this is what the final 300 feet looks like. So the snow bridge on the bottom right, and then we work our way up this really jagged, craggy mountain that is just this daunting thing in front of you. From a distance, Granite Peak looked super impressive in all of the picture books. As we got up closer, though, when I saw it through the windows of the plane, suddenly it became a little bit more real. It was a magnificent-looking mountain. But now, we are full-blown embracing Granite Peak. And so for the next three or four hours, we are basically roping up and climbing 60-foot sections at a time. If you look closely, the little guy in the middle on the top in the lime green jacket, that's Dane. And he went ahead and fixed the ropes, and then we basically tied in with this little guy. This is basically what was holding our lives in place. And we would tie this rope into the fixed rope in such a knot that you could slide it up, but it wouldn't come down. And as you climb, you just keep cinching this higher and higher, so you only fall about that far if you did slip. We did this through the night until finally, and this is the next picture, this is what it looks like from the top down, and then finally we get to the summit at about 10 till 7 in the morning. And this was a group of guys. Steve is there on the right in the blue. His son Eli is on the far left, and then Eli's buddy Chris was with us. And then our guy Dane is in the goofy face down on the front. It was super windy up there, but it was super cool to be able to stand up there after reading all about this mountain for weeks and finally getting a chance. This other picture is just a picture of Steve and I as a celebration just to kind of say, hey, we did it. And then we, had, then we got to get down off of this thing, right? I share this story because we got to experience what the whole mountain had to offer. Rainstorms, hailstorms, snowstorms, jagged rocks, blisters on our feet. Massive wind gusts, mountain goats, snow bridges, rock climbing, rappelling, and then a spectacular view of all of the surrounding mountain peaks in the Beartooth mountain range. My relationship with Granite Peak had suddenly become profoundly personal. It had demanded extraordinary grit and perseverance, and now looking down from the summit, the mountain had left its mark. And it was life-changing. Now, there's a big difference between being impressed by a mountain from a distance, looking at it in a, in a book, to simply being changed from personally experienced it. 
That's the journey, folks, that abiding takes us on as well. It moves us along the spiritual continuum from simply knowing about God from a distance to seeing him up close and personal to having a real and tangible relationship with him and ultimately experiencing deep, profound life transformation. That's what abiding does. God never intended for us to simply admire him from a distance. He wants his followers to experience him, to get in the game, to do the hard stuff, to let him show up in the hard places, to have our souls abide intimately with him, and to be transformed into a new creation by him. The key word for this to happen is engage. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But he puts it on us to make the first step. God is sovereign and all-powerful, but there is one limit that he's placed on himself. As much as he loves you and me, he can't make us love him back. That's the power of our will. God's done everything possible for our souls to be with him, but we have to respond. We have to engage. So abiding in God expands my intimacy with God. And then here's the next progression of this. Intimacy with God expands my capacity for God. Intimacy with God expands my capacity for God. So here's a question. How much of God do you want in your life? How much God do you want in your life today? Tony Evans says this, God will only let you experience as much God as you can handle. So, let me take you to the ocean for a minute. If I were to take this cup to the ocean and fill it up, I would have a cup full of ocean. But no more because my capacity is limited to this cup, right? But instead of the cup, if I were to take a bucket to the ocean and fill the bucket up, I would have a bucket full of ocean, but no more because my capacity is limited to the bucket. If I were to take a barrel to the ocean and fill up the barrel with ocean water, I'd have a barrel full of ocean, but no more, because my capacity is limited to the barrel. If I were to drive a tanker truck to the ocean and fill up the tanker truck, I would have a tanker truck full of ocean, but no more, because my capacity is limited to the tanker truck. We're limited not because the ocean can't give us more, but because we can't handle more. The ocean is big enough to handle whatever you bring to it. And oh, by the way, so is God, infinitely more. God will give you as much of himself as you can handle, but no more because God won't waste God. Ephesians 3, I love this scripture. Paul prays for the believers that they may have the power to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that a great prayer? God wants to expand our soul's capacity to know him and to experience him and to be filled by him. But that comes only by us pursuing intimacy with him. And here's the key word for that to happen. It's not what you think it is. The key word is surrender. 
The only way you get more of God is to get rid of more of you. As you empty yourself and give permission for God to fill you, you get more of his presence in your life. So how much of God do you want today? Because he's, wait, he's waiting and he's ready. And there's a lot of him to give. But he wants us to say, I'm yours, all of me. Fill me to the fullest measure. Abiding in God expands my intimacy with God. Intimacy with God expands my capacity for God. And here's the final one. Capacity for God expands my authority from God. Being filled with God gives you authority that you and I do not have on our own. A family I know recently got a dog. It's a little dog, but it's got a lot of energy. So one day, their three-year-old little daughter was playing in the backyard, and the dog was outside with her. It started barking and chasing this little girl. It was just trying to be playful, but through the eyes of a three-year-old, it did not feel like play. It felt more like torment, right? So this continued for a few moments, and just as she was on the verge of tears, her daddy showed up, and she ran to his side. Standing beside him, she collected her breath, then she looked down at the dog and looked up at her dad, then she looked down at the dog, back up at her dad, down at the dog, up at her dad, and then she did this. Na, 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 na. <laughs> you see, everything had changed despite her circumstance. The dog was still there. The dog was still spouting its authority. The dog was making a lot of noise, but something changed in her. What changed in her was her daddy's presence. The fact that he was now part of the equation gave her a confidence she didn't have before, a sense of victory she didn't possess, and a new level of courage to face her enemy with authority. That's what intimacy with the Father does for the soul. It instills authority, not because of the soul, but because of who the soul is with. And this authority is what allows us to stand firm in the face of everything that the world throws at us. This authority allows the cause of Christ to prevail. This is the authority that allows us to say, through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Through Christ, he has a plan for me, a plan of a future of hope and welfare, a future that is bright. This authority allows the light to overcome the darkness every single time. It gives us authority over our enemy, Satan. It gives us authority over our enemy, sin. And it gives us authority to stand strong in the midst of everything the world throws at us so that we can proclaim truth to people who desperately need to hear it. It is not my authority. It is Jesus living in me. And as I surrender and give him control, he works through me. And when we get our souls in that place, look out. Because that is the gospel in action. That is what Jesus died on a cross for 
to set us free so that we could proclaim this message to people in our world who desperately need to hear it. So the key word to exercising God's authority is real simple. It's faith. It's faith. Matthew 17, 20 says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So abiding in God expands my intimacy with God. Intimacy with God expands my capacity for God. And capacity for God expands my authority from him. And the reason why this is so important today is because God's authority paves the path for prevailing love to happen. When his love goes forth through us, things change. That is desperately what the world needs to see, is love, unconditional love being shared through his followers as they receive the love from him and they understand who their identity is in Christ so that they can share that with others and bring hope to this world. Jesus concludes his message in John 15 by saying this, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last, Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. There's the authority. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. So I abide in order to expand my intimacy with my capacity for and my authority from God so that love will abound. Love is the fruit that abiding produces. So the situation was pretty desperate for these miners. But what they didn't know is because of love, while they were still trapped in the depths of the earth, their families and their loved ones had rallied the Chilean government to try to launch a rescue operation like none had ever seen before. Multiple rigs were mobilized to drill holes, but they kept missing the target. Finally, on the eighth attempt, 17 days later, as the men underground were near starvation, a miracle happened. A drill bit broke through the rock ceiling of the miner's shelter, 2,300 feet below the surface, and it was discovered that all 33 men were still alive. This led to a massive plan to both care for the men while rescuing them from their entrapment. The plan was immense, involving international drilling companies, corporations from nearly every continent, and even NASA, On October 13th, after 69 days trapped underground, about a billion people from around the world watched live as 33 men were brought safely to the surface. They were rescued one at a time in a capsule that was raised by a winching operation that lasted over 24 hours. Miraculously, after 69 days, every miner was rescued and reunited with the ones that they loved. The Chilean mine rescue is considered to be the greatest mine rescue ever accomplished. It's a beautiful picture of love in action for the sake of reuniting two separated groups of people. But it's also a beautiful picture of the gospel. When Jesus completed his work on the cross, and three days later he blew open the rock that entombed him underground, he made a way for our souls to be reunited with our Father. He paved the way for intimacy, capacity, and authority for the sake of love. 
your soul was meant to be with God today. It will not find rest until it's with the Father. So may we honor our soul's desire and draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you today for reminding us of a very simple truth that we were made to be with you. And perhaps there's some of us, Lord, that feel like we are trapped underground, that we're super distanced from you. That the decisions that we've made or the mistakes that we've made or the things that we're ashamed of are preventing us from being connected with you. And I just pray today that if we feel like we are in that camp, that we would be reminded that you broke through all of the distance in order to reunite with us, that we are forgiven today, that we are made new, that we are rescued and restored into a right relationship. Father, for those of us who simply just need to be kicked in the seat of our pants and nudged in the direction of the fact that you are a loving Father that wants to be with us, I pray that we would not leave today until we make a commitment to say yes to drawing near to you. And God, I pray that in the process you would show up and just do a great work in our hearts. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.